Hi, I'm Matt McClory, lead pastor alongside my wife, Jill, here at Colonial Church in St. Augustine, Florida. Wanted to welcome you to Colonial Church's podcast. We are a church that believes in Jesus and people, which means we believe in you. So why not today subscribe to this podcast and choose to grow your life spiritually and in all the other ways as well into everything that God has got for you. God bless you and I hope you enjoy this episode. Jump up here for a minute and just let everyone know today. Today is part of Friends and Family Month, and so we're on the second weekend of Friends and Family Month in our church, which is the month of July. And we take the middle of summer and believe for amazing things as a church. And so we have some some friends come in, which we have today, which friends are now like family, really. Um, and we kicked off last week with an amazing message from Pastor Aaron Creasy, uh, which was awesome. Life with Jesus. And um, that was an amazing, amazing message. But today, I was reminded of this in the last service. Uh, it was 2013. Uh, Jill and I, we went on this sort of ministry journey. It was like, we didn't realize it was happening. We just thought we were moving cities for jobs and doing different things. But we ended up in Atlanta for a year at Passion City Church in Atlanta. Pastors Louie and Shelley are dear to us, and we love them and honor them. And we showed up for a year there, and um, what we realize now, looking back, is that was ministry training for what we're doing right now. And uh, it was during that year that I was at church um, on a Sunday night, and um, this guy called Ben Stewart spoke that night. And I remember just just seeing the message and, 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 and being part of it, and just thinking at that time, I was just like, man, there's something different about this guy. And I really, I, I really like him, and I want to follow him, and I want to, I want to see what God does here. And then, shortly after that, um, Ben and, and Donna, who are here with us today, they started Passion City Church in DC, and have been pastoring there now for five years, which is pretty awesome to be leading a church there and doing an incredible job. But Ben is an amazing Bible teacher, has an incredible gift on his life to explain the word and to teach and instruct and equip and bless. And so you're going to be absolutely inspired today by the Word. So can we do what we always do uh, in our church? Can we stand and can we honor the Word of God? And can we welcome Pastor Ben Stewart this morning as he comes to preach the Word? All right. Well, thank you very much, man. What an honor to be here. Uh, We have loved it. Yes, we are in Washington, D.C., which is a city filled with millennials. I don't know if you know that, but uh, a third of the city is under the age of 35. So I don't know if that encourages or terrifies you. Your government's run by 20-year-olds. But uh, pray for us. Uh, We love it. But we've loved being here. We've been in Florida for a few days. We've been to all your national parks. uh, And so we have been on a seaplane and an airboat and had so much fun. But uh, our kids' probably favorite moment uh, was last night getting to hang out with Matt and Jill and their kids. Uh, We were laughing. We watched the sunset out on the dock, uh, and the kids, when we came back, were two boxes of popsicles deep. I mean, just having a kid rager uh, at the house. So uh, this was their highlight for sure. But um, man, we're just honored to be here, excited about what the Lord uh, has for us today. So if you got a copy of your scriptures, I want to read you a couple verses. From James chapter 1. I'm going to read this to you. Uh, we'll pray and then jump in. So if you got a copy of James chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 14. Uh, if you don't have a copy, uh, just uh, listen. I'm going to read it. So here it is. Uh, James 1, 14 says this. But each person is tempted 
when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, I thank you for a few minutes around your word. I just pray that you would help us. Lord, may you do what your text says. May, may you bring some people to life by the word of your truth. God, would you help us understand what the word says, but, but not just understand it, Lord. I pray it would affect us, that we'd be different as a result of these few minutes. And, and I can't create that, but, but you can. And I just want to invite you, if, if you're willing, to take a moment and you ask him that. Uh, and just say, Lord, please teach me today. I and mean, then if you would, please pray for me, that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. <laughs> well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, several years ago, uh, I was able to visit a Navy SEAL training exercise, and I watched a team take down a building filled with enemy combatants who were holding hostages. Uh, now, it was a simulation, so they were using simulation rounds, paintballs, uh, but they're fired out of real guns, so they go fast and hard and hurt. Now, it was my understanding that I'd be watching all this from the safety of an observation deck. Uh, and yet, as the team began to stack up on the door and lay dead cord, I remember their commanding officer I was standing with motioned with me to start walking towards the door with him. And then at one point, he stopped and he was like, you know, I wouldn't get any closer than this if I were you. Like when they blow that door, sometimes a handle can shoot off like a bullet. I'd stay right here. I was like, yeah, great. Like I hadn't planned on being this close. But sure enough, they blew that door and they went charging in. And then he hit me in the chest and went, let's go. And so we went running in too, me in uh, jeans and a t-shirt. And I remember as soon as I crossed through that door, two things hit me, metaphorically speaking. Uh, the first thing was the chaos of the situation. I mean, there was smoke everywhere, flashbangs, shots fired. It was bedlam. But the second thing that hit me was the beauty of their strategy. They were aggressive but patient. They were graceful and purposeful. They would come to an open doorway, and with barely a head nod, two of them would swing out to eliminate all hostiles without ever being an open target. And within seconds, they had eliminated all hostiles. They had rescued all hostages, and they brought peace where seconds ago there was chaos. And I remember when I watched that, the thought crossed my mind, well, this is the Christian life, <laughs> or it's supposed to be. And you go, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't think you have to make many attempts towards spirituality in life until you start to realize spirituality occurs in the context of adversity, that it's hard. And some of you have felt that with something as simple as reading your Bible. You're like, I'm going to start reading the Bible. And as soon as you open it, all kinds of competing thoughts come to mind and rival affections, and it's hard to focus. Or some of us, if we're honest, we live in Romans 7. You go, there's good I want to do, and I'm not doing it. And the evil I want to stop doing, I keep doing that. And some of us look at this, and we're discouraged by the situation. You go, I just thought this would be easier. I thought I'd come to Christ, and... And the addictions would go away. The struggles would cease. I'd just be happier. I don't know. I thought I would fly around and sprinkle Jesus dust on everyone and just. <laughs> and then you show up at church. And, and I don't know about you, but I grew up wondering where you'd hear testimonies on stage. And guys would get up and, and they'd say, man, I was addicted to every drug known to man. And then I put my faith in Jesus. 
And they all ceased immediately. Never tempted again. God pulled the entire thing up by the roots. And we would celebrate because God does that. And that's amazing. And yet some of us in the crowd were like, he uprooted your addictions? He didn't even prune mine. They're, they're as robust as ever. And we start to wonder, is something wrong with me? And we realize, hey, I'm struggling in the situation. And yet some of us go, no, Ben, I, I know the situation's a struggle. I read the Bible about how spirituality, it uses war imagery. It's a struggle. I know the situation. What I need is a strategy. I want to look more like a Navy SEAL and less like you. I want to be moving through life, eliminating hostilities and pursuing purpose. I don't want to be running around in my flip-flops going, it's smoky in here. <laughs> and you go, and the strategies you've been using aren't working. Like, I don't know about you, but for me growing up, we would always go to camp every summer. And uh, the first couple of days of camp, everyone looked crazy. They were all smoking, drinking 40s. It was nuts. <laughs> it's not an exaggeration. But I remember the last night of camp, man, everybody got saved. Because after a couple days of malnutritious food and little sleep, we were all in an emotionally volatile state. And the band would get us all dialed up. And then the speaker would come and get us fired up. And by the end of the night, we were all crying, locking pinkies, swaying, saying, friends are friends forever. And then right at the emotional pitch, it was open mic night. And one after another, we would get on stage and make big promises of what we were going to do for God. We'd stand up there and say, I just want you to know. I'm never going to sin again. And we'd be like, I don't think he is. He's had such a good week at camp. I think it's over for him. I just want you to know, I'm going to tell everyone in my school about Christ. He is prophesying right now. And on and on it would go. But there wasn't a one of us that two weeks later hadn't broken every promise. And we were sitting in our bedroom surrounded by the same addictions going, what's wrong with me? Maybe spirituality is for a few precious, pristine people and not someone like me. And yet the reality is for all of us, spirituality is, is pursued in the context of adversity. Life is a struggle. And if it is, what I want to do in a little bit of time we have is teach you how to struggle well. So I want to show us the situation and then we'll talk about our strategy. And the situation is, it feels like a war because it is. And yet it's a war in which our king has won the decisive victory. So Jesus' arrival, as much as he's called a, a lamb and a shepherd, he's presented as a warrior. That his arrival was a landed evasion. 1 John 3, 8 says, the son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That Jesus came to destroy something. His very first introduction is in Genesis 3, 15, with the stain of their sin still on them. God tells Adam and Eve, I'm sending the seed of the woman. And then he calls them by a singular male pronoun, a boy will come and he will crush the head of the serpent. My solution for your sin is a savior. I'm sending a hero who will crush the one who deceived you. And so Jesus' arrival was not just a landed invasion. It was a rescue operation. His first sermon in Luke 4, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me and I'm here to proclaim release to the captives. I'm here to set you free. One of my favorite explanations of Jesus was by Jesus. Uh, try this next time uh, you're witnessing to somebody and ask you what Jesus is about. They asked him, why are you here? And he said, picture a, a strong man, fully armed, and he's got a bunch of gear, and no one will mess with him. Now picture someone stronger beating him up and stealing his things. That's me. <laughs> try that next time someone asks you about Jesus, and you're like, he's like a big dude who beats a guy up and steals his stuff. That's, that's my king. If you don't believe me, read Luke 11. He says, when a strong man fully armed guards his house, his possessions are undisturbed. 
But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away all his armor on which he relied and distributes his plunder. Some of you, you wrestle with struggles even now, and they're too strong for you. And I can tell you something. They are. But here's the good news. The stronger one is here. And he has come to beat the one who shamed you, and we are the plunder he has taken captive. We are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. He said, I am here to set you free. And yet in his wisdom, it's an ongoing operation. We are still here on the battlefield. C.S. Lewis said it this way, enemy occupied territory. That is what the world is. He says, Christianity is the story of how the true king has come. You might say landed in disguise. And he's calling us all to take part in his great campaign of sabotage. It's David and Goliath. What happened when the Philistines attacked and encroached on Israelite land? The Israelites shrunk in fear. Until what? Until David came forward, the true king. And yes, he looked small and weak, but keep an eye on him. Because what did he do? He destroyed the enemy they feared, Goliath. And when that enemy fell, what did the Israelite army do? It says they shouted the war cry and they drove the Philistines out of their land. That's us. When the son of David, Jesus Christ, beats our condemnation and sin and hell and death and we see the thud of our greatest enemy, that's what empowers us to run and drive the Philistines of fear and lust and pride out of our own heart. See, here's the misconception some people have. They go, man, when I come with Christ, I thought I wouldn't struggle. So if I do, maybe it didn't work. And you go, no, 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 no. Spirituality, God didn't free you from the struggle. He freed you for it. You've not been freed from the fight for the fight. Before you were just a victim, but now you can be a victor in Jesus' name. It's master and commander. I don't know if you've watched that movie starring Russell Crowe. He's in charge of the HMS Surprise, charged to take out Napoleon's most feared frigate. And in the crescendo of the movie, what happens? He pulls his boat alongside, disables their main mast, boards the ship, fights the way to the hull, breaks open the chains, opens the doors, and sets the prisoners free. Huzzah! And yet as these men are coming out of their chains into freedom, each one is handed a sword because the battle's still going. You've been freed. You are freed. But you're freed for the fight, not from it. You were a victim. Now you can be a victor in Jesus' name. So for those who were in Christ, now this spiritual life is one movement with two parts. It's one movement with two parts. It's a movement away from ways of thinking and ways of living that isolate us from the intimacy with God we were made to enjoy. And it's ways of thinking and ways of living that promote the intimacy with God that Christ purchased. Uh, old school theologians had a word for this movement, right? They called it sanctification. Sanctification is built off the word holy, which means set apart. And you hear both pieces in that, away and towards. Uh, in the temple in the Old Testament, there were utensils, cups and plates that were holy. They were set apart from common usage, set apart only for the worship of the Lord. Uh, some of you have uh, coffee mugs like this. They are holy unto you. No pagan lips may touch it, right? And old school theologians had words for each of these two pieces. They called this mortification. There are certain ways of thinking and ways of living. I now mortify, I kill. They don't belong in my life anymore. And they call this piece vivification, but there's other ways of thinking and ways of living. I want to vivify. I want to bring to life. Uh, if you were using gardening imagery, this would be the pulling up of weeds. There's things I used to do. Maybe my buddies still do. They just don't belong in the soil of my heart anymore. This would be the planting of flowers, of fruit. This is where I want to see flourishing 
than what God intended. If you were using a dating imagery, this would be the stuff to promote intimacy with my wife, like taking her on dates. This would be the things I don't do, like yell at her or date other women. I don't do this. I do this, right? Now, before we move on, let me clarify. What I'm not saying is, so this is the devil side of the stage, and this is the God side of the stage. So you got to get on that God side, kids. That's not what I'm saying, because that makes it sound like God's over here waiting for you to get your act together. That's not how this works. That Jesus Christ came for us, you put your faith in him, and what happens? You are born again, and he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm not going anywhere. But I can be standing right next to my wife, knowing she'll never leave me but feel miles apart because I haven't done the work to cultivate the intimacy I was made to enjoy. So the fight of spirituality is a fight for an unrestrained intimacy. You see it? Paul told young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, love, joy, and peace, along with those who call out to God out of the pure heart. Right? So we have to understand, though, in our situation, this is our pursuit but it's not done in a vacuum. We have an enemy, and he hates our king, so he hates us. Like, I remember my first day of middle school. I was very excited. Because I was going to ride the bus with my older brother that by every measure was endlessly cool. And so I remember we got on the bus. He started moving to the back where the cool kids sat. I started walking to the back because I was related to him and thus cool by proxy. <laughs> and yet as I began that journey, this kid jumped up in front of us and put his face right in my face. And this is before I understood this is what some people do when they want to fight. I just thought he had proximity issues. Like, why are our noses touching? And I remember he looked at me and he said, are you Cole Stewart's brother? I said, yeah. He said, I hate your brother. I said, okay. And then he said, so I hate you. What I found out later was he was a bully. Got emotional needs met by picking on other kids. There was this one problem. He played football. And my brother played football. And there was one day at practice, my brother was running the ball, and this kid, Marvin, attempted to tackle him, and my brother hit him so hard that Marvin flew through the air uh, and made squealing sounds like a piglet, <laughs> which when you're a bully, kind of cramps your style. So fast forward back to the bus, and he looks at me and says, I hate your brother, so I hate you. And then he put his finger on my face and said, you look good with a cigarette burn here. And then from behind him, we heard my brother say, Marvin, he kind of straightened up, sat down. But as he sat down, he said, it's going to be a long year, little brother. Now, question, why do you hate me? I didn't do anything to him. I'll tell you why. Because I look like the one who shamed him. And when you associate with Jesus Christ, Colossians says he made a public spectacle of the enemy when he triumphed over him to purchase you. He has shamed him. So guess what? If he hates your king, he hates you. And so when you come to Christ, you're not immune to temptation. You may in some ways be more of a target because the enemy can't attack a full frontal assault on our king, but he can twist the knife by coming after you. And so let's look at his strategy, then we'll talk at ours. What does he know? What does he do? Well, what he knows is you. He knows your wiring. He knows you have a mind to think with, a heart to feel with, and hands and feet to move with. We are a mind, affections, and a will. And he knows your tendencies. He's watched the game film on you. So what's his strategy? He wants to get you in a place where you will willfully step away from the intimacy with God that was purchased for you by Christ. He wants you to step away from the author of life 
in order to find life elsewhere. Why on earth would you agree to such a suicidal principle? Well, to get you to do that, to get you to willfully walk away from your king, he has to create an environment where he solicits thoughts to your mind to stir your affections so you enact the will. And the Bible says this moment of thoughts solicited to the mind to stir the affections, it calls temptation. Now you go, Ben, where are you getting this from? The passage we just read. James says, but each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And the desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. Do you see it? Lures my mind to attention, stirs my heart's affections. And when I enact the will, I move towards places I was never meant to be. So I tell young ladies all the time, like, ladies, you'll be getting ready for work in the morning, and the thought will be solicited to your mind, I'm single. And as you consider that thought, you go, that is true. I'm neither married nor currently dating. And then as you think that thought, you go, but I'd like to be with someone. And then an Adele song comes on. (laughs) And you go, but I want to be with someone. I don't want to be alone. And then you drive to work and you see couples walking hand in hand and the birds moving two by two. (laughs) And you go, everyone has someone but me. And as that thought solicited your mind and your affections are stirred, suddenly you're propositioned with an idea and you'll date a loser. (laughs) Someone who's beneath you morally and doesn't have in his heart the intentions of your king. But you're so caught up, you think this is the best you can do. And a whole cascading world of tragedies awaits in this direction. I'm not trying to shame you. Shame impedes strategic thinking. I'm just letting you know how the enemy works, right? Or guys, you'll be getting ready for bed at night, and the thought will be solicited to your mind. You should grab a screen and look at naked things. And as it consults your affections, you go, naked things? Okay. (laughs) That's about it for you. But James says each one is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. They're tailor-made for you. Notice he calls it a lure. What do you do with a lure? You present it in front of a fish, and you want to get that fish's attention, right? But you don't just want his attention. You want to stir his affections. I mean, you want to break him off mid-sentence with his fish buddies. He's like, anyway, so I says, to, oh, hell no. Who are you? You're swimming along so it looks wounded and delicious. And when you get his attention and stir his affections, when he enacts the will, he never even saw the hook. Never even crossed his fish mind that there was a sentient being behind this whole operation. And yet some of you see that and you go, a frog? That's what tempts you? Ew. (laughs) Like, you're into that? That's disgusting. Like, I don't know how you can be a real fish and be tempted by that. You go, that's okay. Just pulled out a different lure for you. You go, ooh, shiny. And off you go. (laughs) Each one is tempted. When he's lured and enticed by his own desire, some of the best self-knowledge you can have is how does he get me? Because here's the million-dollar sentence, kids. What you think about is what you care about. And what you care about, you will chase. So what do you entertain in your mind? Because where you let your mind dwell will determine what you love and will determine who you become. So if this is what the enemy's doing to us, what do we do in response? Let me give you three things. Number one is we eliminate the moment. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
Notice where Jesus draws the battle line. He doesn't say, watch and pray that you don't enter into sin, a willful step away from the intimacy with God I purchased for you to enjoy. He says, if this leads to this, I want you to watch and pray that you don't enter into this. He says, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. I don't linger in places where thoughts are solicited in my mind to stir my affections, to move towards things that I know don't promote my intimacy with God. I move away from those things. Do you see? Uh, So I had a friend years ago that was telling me the story about a buddy of his who confided in him that uh, he and his wife had been fighting and it had turned into verbal shouting matches and even gotten physical. And he said, my buddy strongly encouraged him, you can't ever put your hands or even your words towards your wife in a hurtful way. You need counseling to come into this situation. You need the church family to surround you. We need to change some things about this dynamic. This cannot be. And yet in the midst of counseling, his friend, he told him, but how does it happen? But he's like, I don't know. He's like, no, think about it. Don't let shame impede strategic thinking. What leads to this moment? And as he contemplated the moment, he was like, well, you know, we go to this bar every Tuesday night, and uh, she never wears as much clothes as I want her to wear. And then guys kind of hit on her, and she doesn't rebuff their advances the way I want her to. And so I get offended, and she gets offended that I'm offended. And so we start to argue there, and then we argue in the car, and the argument escalates at home, and off it goes. My buddy says, well, there's probably deeper issues here that you need to unearth among counsel and Christian friends that you can confide in. He said, but maybe as a first step, you two just quit going to that bar. (laughs) If drinking in that crowd always leads to this, eliminate that. And he said it never crossed his mind. He's like, but it's Tequila Tuesday. (laughs) It's not worth sinning over. If this leads to that, eliminate the moment. Where I counsel a lot of young men that struggle with pornography. And I say, where does it get them? And they say, on my screens, late at night, when I'm in bed. I said, that makes sense. You're at your weakest possible moment, and you put the world wide web next to your head? That's like an alcoholic pouring a glass of scotch every night, sitting on the nightstand and going, no, I'm not going to drink you. That's a bad strategy. <laughs> Paul told the Romans, make no provision for the flesh. That's ample provision. So maybe just get the screens out of your bedroom. Eliminate that even decision. But as I say that, it never crossed their mind. They're like, but it's my alarm clock. Well, buy an alarm clock. They practically give them away. <laughs> but be a student of yourself. Sun Tzu said in the art of war, if you know your enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know neither your enemy nor yourself, you'll succumb to every battle. Be a student of you. If it's temptations for each of us, how does he come at me? And so if this is where he gets me, these are the lies I believe to get here, I'm going to eliminate The second thing to do is paddle downstream. Before I jump into the boat, let me see where this river leads. And is it a place I want to be? James says it this way. He says, desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin. Sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. He says, before you link up with your desire, watch what it leads to. It leads to sin. A willful step away from intimacy with God, which ultimately leads to death. The opposite of life. And so before I jump in the boat, let me see where it leads. They say in AA, think through the drink. I could take a drink now, but if I struggle with this, where will it lead me? And is that a place I want to be, right? What's interesting about it is he's actually not using uh, fishing imagery. If you notice, he's, he's using uh, sexual imagery. In, in Greek, the language this was originally written in, nouns have gender like uh, Spanish does. And uh, he's not saying uh, desire and sin are more... Uh, feminine struggles. It's just their feminine words in Greek. And so notice he says, desire who's feminine, when you unite yourself with that temptation, he says she conceives and gives birth to sin. 
Sin's a feminine word too. And he says, sin, when she's fully grown, she brings forth death. And James uses that imagery on purpose because birth is literally the arrival of life. It's meant to be a moment of extreme celebration. But he says, you give forth death. It's a shocking image. And it's meant to be. It's meant to jar you, to snap you awake. Because sin looks a lot less sexy in the cold light of day. Here it will whisper, I'm a sweet release from your problems. I'm an oasis from your difficulties. I'll obliterate the pain. And you go, yeah, before I believe that and jump into the back seat with you, let me see what we're going to produce. Uh, I have a friend who's a pastor that uh, in his prayer closet, uh, he's got newspaper clippings of all these pastors who've fallen out of ministry because of moral failure. It's a very morbid uh, prayer closet. I remember praying in there, and I was like, Lord, have mercy. Like, is this some sort of sick fascination? And so I asked him about it, and he was like, you know, man, I know that ministry is very hard. It's emotionally taxing, and when we're emotionally taxed, if we don't pick a, a healthy oasis, the enemy always will offer a broken one. He said, and I know that when I'm emotionally depleted, he will offer to me the lie to find a sweet release into the arms of someone who's not my wife. And he said, so I put these pictures up to remind me this is where this goes, and is this the place I want to be? Think of the pain these decisions would cause. My, my wife, my kids, my ministry, the name of Christ. And sin looks a lot less sexy in the cold light of day. So I paddle downstream. If I don't want to be here, then I don't be here. I've never fought a lion. But if I have to, I want to fight a baby one. <laughs> and so when I fight temptation, let me fight it early. Don't let me grow to full strength. You see it? The last thing he tells us is to paddle upstream. If downstream from every temptation is destruction, notice what he says is upstream. Why do some of our broken activities that we know are messed up, why do they have an allure to us? Notice he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. If downstream is destruction, upstream is deception. There's a lie that launches these destructive activities into our life. What's the lie? Notice he says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes down from your Father above. And then there's no shadow of variation due to change. He says the lie that launches a million sins is that God's not a good dad who will take care of you. He says that's where you got to fight. Ultimately, the best defense against sin is a good offense. That I understand the love of my Father in heaven because the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And he says of his own will. He brought you forth. That means he wanted to. Brought you forth as birthing imagery. He brought you to life. Sin's not the only one having babies in this text. That God brought you forth. He wanted you as his child. And when you focus on the love of your father, the allures of your lust just seem less appealing. How could Jesus defeat the temptations of the devil in the wilderness? Because right before that moment, the father spoke from heaven. He says, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. And like Pastor Louis says, it's the pleasures of the Father that allow Jesus to resist the promises of the desert. Do you see it? I don't know about you, but for me, I, I used to really dislike the song, How He Loves Us. I don't know if this is a safe place to confess that. <laughs> but I pondered, why? Is it the way we sing it, kind of the Doppler effect way? How we love us. Oh. Is it that? No, it's not that. Like, is it the lyrics? Like, ah, I'm not a tree. And I was like, no, it's not that either. But from, as someone from a, a broken home, I realized 
they just make you repeat over and over again, oh, how he loves me, oh, how he loves me, oh, how he loves me. And I'm like, and it, and it starts to, I don't believe it. I get it right on a quiz, theologically. But my heart says, no, I think God's just disappointed. And then I remember we had our first kid. And I would take the 2 a.m. shift of holding our little baby. And I remember in that moment, there was one day holding her, and I felt this pain in my chest, like it was caving in. I was like, what, what is this? And I was like, it's love <laughs> for you. I was like, this is crazy, because I instantly felt the limits of language. Like, there's no poem, there's no song that I'm like, yeah, that about sums it up. Like, no, there's, there's no words that can encapsulate what I'm feeling. To say I would die for you is too small. Like, of course I would. I absolutely adore this child, and you wouldn't even understand it if I could put it in words because you're a baby and don't speak yet. But I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy because you've done nothing. You're nothing but noise and need. And yet I wish there was a way to get into your little baby mind what's happening in your father's heart, how much I adore you. And then I felt like God did one of those little moves on me where he was like, hey man, you think you're a better father than me? You think you have a greater capacity to love your child than I do for you? And I had to repent of an unbiblically low view of the love of God. And some of us, you don't think you deserve the love of God, so you go to so many broken places to obliterate the pain. And let me tell you something, that is a lie from the devil. Make war on that lie. If you wanted to destroy me, let's say you made it a goal. I hate Ben Stewart. I want to destroy his life. Let me tell you how to do it. You grab the face of my little boy, one of my little girls, and you tell them, you know your dad? He's so sick of you. You're just such a perpetual disappointment. You should run away. I mean, yes, he loves you because he loves everybody, but go somewhere else for enjoyment. Go somewhere else for provision. Go somewhere else for protection. You're a hassle and a drain. You say those things to my daughter, you incite wrath in me. But let me tell you something. That's what the enemy says to you, that voice in you that says, you've disappointed God too much. You're too far gone. He doesn't care. It'd be better if you leave. That's how the enemy speaks to you. You make war on that lie with the superior truth of no, of his own will. My father brought me forth to be the first fruits of his creatures. He loves me and he cares for me. And the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. That's what happened to St. Augustine. Augustine, a little bit of controversy on how to pronounce it. I understand that. I respect that. He was a sex addict, among other things. But he understood that all his pursuit of power and wealth and money and pleasure was leaving him empty. And when he heard the claims of Christ, he knew he was true, but he was scared to let go of the things where he found pleasure and comfort. But he pursued Christ instead, and he wrote in his journal how sweet it was all at once for me to be rid of those fruitless joys I once so feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true sovereign joy. You drove them from me, and you took their place, you who are sweeter than all pleasure. You enjoy the inexhaustible love of the Father, and you'll find that the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. So thank you, God, for loving us, Thank you that you're not interested in shaming anybody here today. And thank you that nobody is too far gone. There's no sin our Savior can't conquer. There is no addiction you cannot break. There is no person beyond the reach of your powerful love. And I pray, God, you would open our eyes that we could see it and open our hearts that we receive it. 
that I want to be bought and brought into the family of God because of the precious blood of Jesus. And then I just don't want to believe the lies anymore. I want to pursue what I've been made to pursue, the intimacy with God that Christ purchased. So Lord, help me struggle well. And I just want to invite you, family, some of you need to put your faith in Jesus. Some of you just need to thank him for coming for you and honor him by believing what he says. That you're my daughter, you're my son, and I'm your father and I love you. And as we celebrate him, ask him to give you a picture. God, what are some things I need to walk away from? What are some ways of thinking I need to uproot? Those are not the thoughts of my king. They're gone. What are some ways of thinking and living I need to cultivate? Ask him to give you a vision of you walking hand in hand with your father. What would it look like to draw near to him? To be surrounded by his people? To run with us as we pursue the one who came for us? Ask him for a vision of what it looks like to flee and to pursue with our king until he sees Thanks for listening to that podcast. We pray it blessed you and empowered you in all that God's got for you. Why don't you share that with a friend, someone who maybe needs to hear it. We'd love for you to also to visit us um, either online at colonialchurch.life or here at church at 550 State Road 207 here in St. Augustine, Florida. Be blessed.